Good morning and uh, welcome along as we gather to worship together. Please do grab a seat if you can find one uh, as we gather to, to worship the Lord together. Uh, please, uh, after the service, please do stay for refreshments in the back hall. It'd be great to get to know you a little bit more if you're new or uh, even if you're not, just to spend that time together. Uh, this morning we will be thinking about um, the series, as we continue in the series on the Gospel of Mark, uh, Sarb will be preaching to us on that, as we think about what's really going on in our hearts, that the most important thing is not about our behavior or our deeds, as important as they are, the most important thing is about our hearts. Where are our hearts before the Lord? Because once our hearts are transformed by the love of God in the Lord Jesus, then it will render us a different people. We will no longer be walking around lost in the world, but we will know who we are as children of God. And that's what the Apostle John speaks of in 1 John 3. He says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So as we come to the Lord now to worship him, let's bow our heads and pray, giving thanks to him. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are your children, loved by you, our Heavenly Father. And we pray that as we come into your presence this morning, that we would come with hearts keen to receive your word, that we would be people who are keen to be transformed more into the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would help us, help us to live lives that reflect that, help us to worship you in all, with all of our hearts this morning. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of all compassion, of grace, of love. That you are not quick to anger, but slow. That you are good to all that you have shown your goodness to us supremely in the Lord Jesus for what he has done for us, dying in our place for our sins, that we can come before you, holy children of God. We thank you, Lord, that as you bring us to yourself, you, you send us out to serve. We do pray, Father, uh, for those who are, are serving, even this afternoon uh, in, in Meadowcroft, and we pray for, for that ministry to the, uh, to the seniors. Lord, that that would be a, a true blessing uh, to people there, for Christians and for those who don't yet know you. We pray too for the young people, even now, as they gather for S Club and for Impact. Lord, that you would lead them and guide them as their teachers lead them to the Lord Jesus in all things. We pray too for the older teens who are meeting the, this, this Sunday afternoon for a Bible study, that it would help them to grow in their knowledge and love of you as they look at Ephesians together. We give you thanks as well for uh, the Harvest Gift Day uh, last week. We thank you, Lord, for the, the way in which we are able to, to help and serve uh, those uh, local to us. We thank you for the, the local food bank to be able to help them. And we think of those uh, in the nations as well, helping the work in Morocco that Tim Webb is involved with. And as we think of the nations, we do pray, Father, for the conflict in uh, Israel at this time. We pray, Father, 
for your peace to reign in your land. We pray that you would uh, bring uh, justice and peace to that place, that there would be no more hostility and hatred of one another, that people would live in peace together. We give you thanks as well for the, the work of our missionaries. We give you thanks for Steve and Matilda, uh, for their work, uh, for Steve's work in, in typesetting the Sukkah uh, New Testament uh, as its near completion. And we pray, the Father, for all that work in composing all that, uh, all that uh, material, bringing it together, that it would be uh, given to the publisher next week. And we pray, Father, for the, the next project and the Warney uh, Bible as well. We, we thank you, Lord, for that work. And we just pray for your blessing on that, uh, that the people would continue to, um, <coughs> to serve you well through that. We give you thanks as well for the opportunity that Steve has to make a trip to Asia in November and to, to go on site there, to come alongside the team for two weeks. We pray for traveling mercies and we pray that you would help him in that to encourage the team there. We give you thanks for, for Matilda as well and for Steve in, in the energy and the stamina that they have in their work and serving and coming alongside other missionaries to help them in their work. And Father, as we look at our own church family, we do pray for, for those who are struggling at the moment, uh, for those who are going through illnesses or sicknesses. We pray especially for uh, Trevor and, and for his wife Anne, as Trevor is recovering from COVID. We pray that you would grant him a, a speedy recovery. We pray for uh, Louise Ludlow and her family as she uh, goes for chemo uh, next week. Uh, Lord, would you uh, make that a successful treatment? We pray, Lord, for our family, Dave and, and Luke as well. And we pray for, for Barbara and John Ismay as John looks to receive uh, surgery uh, very soon as well. We pray that that would uh, go forward together, uh, go forward well. And we pray, Father, for, for them both, Lord, that you would uh, reveal yourself uh, to John and that you would uh, reveal your comfort and grace to Barbara. We pray for those who have uh, gone through recent losses. Um, we pray, Father, especially for Wendy Hopcroft and the sudden loss of Peter. Lord, would you uh, wrap your arms of love and comfort and peace around her. And may she know your goodness and grace today. We pray as well for each one of us as we uh, look to go out as your people, as salt and light in the world that wherever we are, whether that is in school, at work, or in our community, that we would live for you and speak for you in the places that you have put us. We pray that you would help us to do that, to be reliant on you, that we would have hearts before you. And we pray, Father, as well, that as we think of our hearts, that we would have abundant and generous hearts in how we live our lives, in the time that we give to others, in the way in which we use our, the gifts that you have given us. And we pray, Father, for generosity in our finances, whether that be with, to missions or to our local church family here. We pray that we wouldn't just give the remainder of what we have, but that we would give our first and our best to you, that we would offer our best to you as you have given your best to us. And we pray too now for the reading of your word as Caroline comes to read from Mark chapter 7 and for Sarb as he preaches shortly. And may we hear the voice of the Lord Jesus through him, that we would meet with you, Lord, and be transformed by you. 
This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to follow along, um, we're going to be reading from Mark 7, verses 1 to 23. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw that some and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees And all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with their uh, sorry instead of eating their food with defiled hands he replied isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me they worship me in vain their teachings are merely human rules you have to let go of the commands of God. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciple asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into the heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evil come from inside and defile a person. This is God's word to us today. Caroline, thanks uh, so much uh, for reading for us. It's lovely to be here this morning. Um, Before I start, let me uh, just pray. Uh, Father, we do uh, thank you so much for uh, your word. 
I thank you that it is uh, sweeter on the tongue than pure honey. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, I'd speak the words that you give, you have given me. Uh, Father, help us all to have uh, attentive minds, uh, hearts that are ready uh, to receive from you, and ears uh, that are open. Uh, would you speak to us all this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're continuing uh, our series through Mark's Gospel uh, this morning, and uh, we're in chapter 7. And I don't know about you, but as you read through uh, this chapter, you, you might think, if it's the first time you've looked at it, um, you might think, well, what's, what's this got to do uh, with me? I mean, here we've got uh, Jesus in a fight with uh, uh, some Pharisees uh, about hand-washing. Yeah? And before we know where we are, we're deep in the Old Testament. He's talking uh, about what the prophet Isaiah said. Uh, before you know where you are, we're talking about Corban, Corban, whatever that is, and you are probably sitting there thinking, well, how does this actually apply to me you know, today? How does this speak to me? But what I'm hoping to do this morning is I want to look at this text, and far from it being an odd encounter uh, that Jesus has, I want us to see that this passage uh, speaks into the deepest longings of our heart. And it reveals a profound brokenness uh, inside us. And here we also see that there is a balm. There is a sweet balm that our hearts need. Our hearts really need it. It answers the deepest longings uh, of our heart. And so I want to just lift out two things uh, from this passage this morning. Uh, look at uh, the heart of the problem and for us to see that the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. Okay, so that's where we're going uh, this morning. So firstly, at the heart of the problem. Now, we're in the first half of Mark's Gospel, uh, and let me just say a few words to help us orientate ourselves, see where we are uh, in what Jesus, uh, uh, what Mark is telling us about what Jesus has come to do. Now, the first half of Mark's Gospel is, has two bookends. Okay, the first bookend, very first verse, um, which tells us who Jesus is. Yeah, he's the son of God. Okay, and then the second bookend is in the middle. Okay, where we see uh, that Jesus is indeed the son of God. As a voice from heaven declares at the transfiguration, this is my son. Listen to him. Yeah, so those are the two bookends. Now, in between those two bookends. Uh, as we journey through, we'll see that Mark records incredible uh, uh, miracles, physical healings, exorcisms, uh, cleansing of lepers. There's sublime teaching. There's mastery over the wind uh, and the sea, uh, raising of uh, the dead to life. He walks on water and feeds thousands in the wilderness. Uh, the pages are just drenched with Jesus's miraculous works, his knowledge and his power. But what should strike us also as we read through the gospel is that not everybody who hears of Jesus is prepared to accept that he is the son of God. Not everyone that he encounters is prepared to trust him. And this is especially true of the religious leaders. So the early readers who would have looked at this 2000 years ago, they would have asked themselves, what? Well, Hang about, if Jesus is the Son of God and he's revealed like that on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's done all these amazing things, why doesn't everybody believe? Surely, 
Everybody should believe. And that's a question not only for them 2,000 years ago, but it's a question for us today. Now, to help us think about that, Mark told us some parables, there's stories he told uh, back in chapter 4. And they are the lens through which we can see and understand why it is that people rejected Jesus as king. And here in our reading this morning, we come to a place where we can see the heart of the problem. The problem isn't the veracity uh, or the quantity of the signs. The signs aren't disputed. The problem lies much deeper than that. So let's look at our text this morning. Uh, In the first five verses of chapter 7, Mark tells us uh, that the Pharisees and some of the scholars uh, come to Jesus. It is, if you like, it's the great and the good of the biblical Ofsted come to the school of Jesus uh, to give him an inspection. And they're shocked. They're shocked. Jesus' disciples are eating with their hands that are unwashed. And Mark very helpfully tells us why the Pharisees thought this was a problem. That's, back, that's down in verses 3 to 4. Uh, do take a look with me. Uh, the Pharisees, uh, the people who marked themselves out by strictly following the law of God, uh, they were people who washed their hands. They washed cups, pots, and kettles before eating. And they told others to do the same. But when you look back in the Old Testament and you look at the laws that God had given, God had only told the priests, he'd only given this instruction to the priests that they were to wash before coming into the temple, before performing their duties. So that the priests would be clean before they came before God. But what had been given only to the priests soon got extended across all the people. And you can kind of see how this might have worked, right? Uh, The people would have looked on, they would have seen the priests going in uh, and washing before they go into the temple. And they'd have thought, hmm, right, so actually being clean before God's quite important. Um, Perhaps if the priests are washing, why don't we wash? Uh, So we'll wash our hands and, oh, hang on, Uh, if they're washing and cleanliness is really important, let's not only wash our hands, but let's wash pots and pans and kettles and couches. Let's just wash everything. And all of that became a tradition. It just got extended and ingrained into the day-to-day life of the people. It became normal to think that if you hadn't washed your hands, that you would be defiled, what we say, you'd be made unclean in the presence of God. It became just a tradition. And that's what's going on. Now let me bring that home to us today. Dirt in the Bible is a picture of sin. Okay, Dirt is a picture of sin. Uh, when we live in a way that displeases God, uh, the image of dirt or filth is used. And it's dirt, that sin, that sticks to us. We're made uh, unclean by it. And it creates a barrier, uh, a distance between us and God. Uh, That sin, which is represented by the dirt, uh, does at least two things. Uh, The dirt uh, defiles and separates, and the dirt destroys. Defiles and separates and destroys. Now, I was on a tube many years ago when a person who was uh, homeless uh, climbed on board. 
uh, on board the carriage. The, the, they were um, completely covered with dirt, uh, dirt of the road. They were heavily marked by body odor and stained with uh, vomit and bodily excretions. Uh, the smell was deeply unpleasant. And even the most compassionate people on the carriage just could not get close to that person. They just moved away. The dirt and the filth had defiled him, had uh, separated him from others. And that's what sin does between us and God. It separates us from God. But it also destroys Sin also destroys, uh, just as dirt does. When dirt gets ingrained in the fabric, the friction of the dirt in the fabric wears it out. It speeds up the rate at which your clothes wear out, become holy, and are destroyed. It just disintegrates your clothing. And sin does the same thing to our souls. It destroys, it disintegrates us. So we need to be washed. And washing off dirt, well, that's a picture of removing sin. But there's a problem, right? There's a problem. Yeah. The image of sin being like dirt is it's only part of the picture. Uh, we find dirt on the outside. We find dirt only on the outside, I guess. And the problem is that sin is found not on the outside. It's on the inside. Let me show you. When we've done something wrong, now when we uh, know that we've done something wrong, we have a stomach-churning sense of something not being right. Uh, and it's true whether we're believers or not, whether we've broken God's standards or whether we've broken our own standards. We have this stomach-churning sense that we've done something wrong, that we've become unclean and so we wash in Shakespeare's play Lady Macbeth so longs for her husband to become the king and take the kingship that she persuades her husband to kill Duncan and claim the crown so her husband Macbeth goes and kills Duncan at night once the deed is done Lady Macbeth is completely undone. The thought of having blood on her hands completely drives her to despair. As she washes her hands again and again and again to get rid of that sense that there is blood on her hands, she cries out, out, damn spot, out. And she laments that all the sweetest perfumes of Arabia cannot take away the smell of blood on her hands. So she washes and she washes and she washes. The stain, the spot, the stench will not go away. And Lady Macbeth realizes the problem is not on the outside. The problem is on the inside. She could never wash it clean. She could never Wash it clean. And it destroys her. And so also for us. We too are plagued 
by that same sense of having failed or wanting or needing to prove ourselves to be clean. We have that same deep sense of being stained and it drives us to wash, to look for ways of making ourselves clean. Uh, For some of us, we have the sense of being deemed clean through our looks. So we feel unclean when we've put on a few pounds, gone up a dress size or two, when wrinkles appear and hair thins out, and so we wash. We wash through getting nice clothes to cover the weight. We wash through the application of makeup to hide the wrinkles. We wash through gym visits to tone up. We're washing to get out from underneath the stench that we're not clean. We wash. And for some of us, we need to get rid of that deep sense of not being right. And we do it through work. We work hard and long hours in paid and in unpaid work, even in volunteering. We're driven to our work. We're washing. We're washing. Those long, hard hours of work are washing to get rid of that deep sense of not being right. For some of us, we just have to be in control. We want everything to be just the way we like things all the time. And we'll cause other people to bend to our will. By having things the way that we want, we think the right way. We're washing. We're trying to get rid of that sense of not being right. And through the exercise of control, we're washing. You see, the Pharisees, they came to Jesus and knew that when we come before God, all people are unclean that they're defiled, that in some way our rebellion against God, our sin, it defiles, it destroys, and it separates us from God. The heart of the problem is this, that the Pharisees and the people believed that it was possible just by our own efforts to be made right with God, that we can make ourselves clean enough for God. And that's the heart of the problem. We believe that we can work our way up to God, to be good enough. We can wash enough. But we wrongly think that the problem's on the outside. That's something we can attack or fix. And in verse 15, Jesus tells them and us that it's not what's on the outside that's the problem. It's what's on the inside. And that's the heart of the problem, which brings us to our second point which is the heart of the problem, is the problem of the human heart. Take a look with me uh, at verse 5. The Pharisees challenge Jesus, and we read this. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? The law that God had given his people prescribed that the priests should come and wash at the temple, as we spoke about earlier. And that was a tradition that had then developed and spread across the people. And the Pharisees were rebuking Jesus for breaking the tradition, for breaking that tradition. And the question that Jesus asked the Pharisees is this. How do you decide, how do you decide what's the right thing 
to do? How do you evaluate if what you're doing is pleasing to God? How do you work that out? Let's see how Jesus uh, responds. Have a look at uh, this. He says in verse 7. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus' response is, in terms of trying to work out whether it's right or not, is to go to Scripture. He goes to an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, and lifts out the words that God had spoken, saying that his people only paid lip service to God. What they wanted to do was just carry on doing what they wanted to do. They weren't interested in what God had asked them and invited them and called them to do. They just wanted to do what they wanted to do. And they were hiding behind a mask of obedience. And to them, God says, their hearts are far from me. For Jesus, the final arbiter of disputes about how to honor God, it's in God's word. It's not in man's traditions. And that's not a one-off incident. Uh, When Jesus is pressed, when he's challenged, when he's suffering, when people are trying to trap him, what pops out of Jesus' mouth? Out of the mouth of the word made flesh pops the word of God. Scripture falls from his lips. When he's in the wilderness being tempted by the devil... He fights the devil with words of scripture. When he's being challenged by the Pharisees and the scribes, he quotes scripture. Not, not, not in a way of kind of engaging in a toing and a froing with his opponents, but as a clincher. It is written, finished, mic drop. Yeah, that's it. It's the clinching reply. And that's the lens through which Jesus looked at the world and the word. And his heart was focused completely on God, his father in heaven, and completely on the heart of his father in heaven. Whereas in contrast, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, well, they used the law to focus on their own traditions. And by focusing on the traditions, they completely missed the heart of God. Now, Jesus uses this uh, example of Corban uh, to drive the point home. Uh, It's a tradition that had been developed uh, really to allow uh, people to pledge their money, their assets to the temple. Yeah, like a will. Yeah, I promise and I pledge all of these things, all of these, everything I own to the temple. And what that means is that it's they can use it, they can enjoy it, but they can't give it to anybody else. So that was the tradition. So like writing a living will, everything to the temple. You could use it, but not give it away. And that meant that if your parents found themselves in need, you could say, I'm sorry, I've promised this to the temple. I can't give anything to you. Yeah, I can't give anything to you. You could, therefore, you could just avoid looking after your parents. And Jesus says, look at the Ten Commandments. Look at that list. Yeah, honor your father and your mother It's on that list. Yeah, it's right at the heart of the commandments. He says, you've just done what you wanted to do and you've nullified the word of God. And he says, you do many things like that. And they did that 
because they didn't trust God. They didn't trust his word. They just trusted their traditions and the traditions of those around them. But Jesus' call to them then and to us now is to look at the word of God, for us to know the heart of God. As the spirit who lives within us reminds us and brings that truth to bear in our hearts and and our minds. And then to weigh the traditions using that truth. And the tradition of Corban was a way to get out from underneath those traditions. Sorry, a way to get out from underneath those commandments. And we do that because we see or we try to get out from underneath the commandments of God because we think that they will diminish our lives. You know, we, risk the, we run the risk of seeing the commands of God as something that sap the joy out of our life. But as we see the heart of our Father in heaven, the word of God becomes sweeter on the tongue than much pure honey. We don't have Corban today, but we have other ways, don't we, that we can get out from underneath those commands that God has given us to follow the traditions of the world. Sometimes we do this by adding, and sometimes we do this by taking away. Just two very quick examples. Uh, Firstly, of adding. Now, the Bible doesn't say that only people who are ordained, people who are in full-time Christian ministry, uh, that they're the only ones who could administer communion, which we'll be receiving shortly. But over time, traditions have been added, sometimes for good reasons, so that communion is administered only by the minister. But the addition to the law of God undermines undermines the royal priesthood of all believers. That's adding. Secondly, taking away. A scripture tells us as Christians that we shouldn't marry people who are not believers. Uh, the tradition in the world around us screams love is love. And therefore we can marry whosoever we please. And sadly, that mantra and the world has caught its way into many churches and they too have adopted those traditions by turning away and as a result turned away from the word of God. They're trying to get out from underneath what God has said. You see, marriage is a picture of the love of Christ, the groom, for his bride, the church. For Christians to marry people who aren't Christians is to say that Christ doesn't really care who he's joined to on that last day when he returns. That's just not true. That's just not true. So what are we to do with all of this? Well, sharpest application uh, of all of this is to ask yourself this question. What are the things in the word of God that I just, just don't like? I just don't like that. What are the things I think, "Mm, I can't accept that. I cannot accept that. Uh, Maybe they're issues of purity. Why can't I look at those images? Not hurting anyone. Maybe it's issues of generosity. Well, why can't I just give God what's left over at the end of the month? Maybe it's areas of service or loving our neighbor or forgiveness or, or whatever the issue is for you. And that, as you do that analysis, that might reveal the traditions that you are following and trusting in more than the word of God. So look at those areas, spend time wrestling with God's word. Because as we 
live in accordance with what God has revealed in Scripture, we will have life and have life in all of its fullness. So do chat about those things in house group this week. So whether we add or subtract to the law, it reveals that deep down we don't trust God. Our hearts want to do the things that we want to do. So the question and answer to close is this. If the heart the problem is the problem of the human heart, how is the heart healed? What we need, what we need is for our hearts to be captivated by something so beautiful, so extravagant, a love that is so deep, so eternal, so tender, that our hearts will want that more than anything else. And when our hearts see that, then our hearts will want what God wants. Our hearts will long to be close to God, to worship God in spirit and in truth. So what can be so beautiful, so extravagant, so deep, so eternal, and yet so tender? That's God's love for us. God's love for you and God's love for me. To see that God set his love upon each one of us. While we were following the traditions of the world, rebelling against God, God sent Jesus to pay the price for our rebellion against God and make us right with him. The faithful son dying in our place. So we could move from being enemies of God to being children of God. That's what our hearts need to see. A love that is fiercely for us. A love that will rather die on the cross than to lose you. A love that knows all our weaknesses. It knows all our stains. It knows all of our damn spots that we're trying to wash off. And says, come. Come to me. Let me cover you. A love that says, stop washing because my blood has been poured out for you. And if you'll trust me, you will be clean. That's the love that we need. It's the healing balm for our souls. Our hearts need this love. It's a love that we can know, it's a love that we can trust, and it's a love that will change us. It's a love that we can know because the word is alive and it's brought to our hearts by the Spirit. It's a love we can trust because Jesus died. He died rather than lose you and me. And the resurrection proves that if we trust in Jesus, we will never lose that love. And it's a love that will change you. It will change your heart. Because this is the love that our hearts long for. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, this remarkable truth that even though we are trying to wash ourselves, that you have done everything that we need to make us right before you. Uh, Father, help us to see your love for us, uh, the way in which you 
died rather than lose us. And Father, as we come to receive communion now, please, by your spirit, would you stir our hearts? Would you make those truths alive in our hearts? Might we see the love that we need, a love that we can know, and a love that we can trust. Be at work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand just to close. Uh, this evening we have our evening service um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll be preaching on that. Um, after the service here, if you'd like to pray about anything, please do pop over to the prayer ministry corner. It'd be great to be able to pray for you and with you. But let me close with the words from Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.